You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Hey friends, Dan Duvall here to tell you about three things. Number one, dandevall.com. This is the home of the Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall podcast. You can connect. You can become a podcast patron, meaning you give us a few bucks and you get a few benefits. You can also support us with merch by buying cool stuff like t-shirts, and sandals, bags, bugs, and the like with really cool slogans and hip designs. Number two. You can check out OvercomerAccelerated.com. This is our resource for supporting the healing journey. If you happen to be a survivor looking for more freedom and faster, this is the place you've been looking for. Overcomer Accelerated allows you to get live ministry demonstration with yours truly, a community of other survivors taking an accelerated healing journey, access to over a hundred hours of coursework so that you are informed, educated, and understanding not only ministry processes, but deep things about the kingdom of God, spirituality, uh, keys that will unlock an accelerated journey with Jesus Christ to the end goal, which is healing and deliverance. And you can even get discounted coaching depending on how you sign up. Number three, BrideMovement.com. This is the ministry site. And if you have not connected with us through the ministry and you've just been listening to this podcast, I want to encourage you to check out the ministry as well, BrideMovement.com. So much there. And I'm not going to take the time to explain it here. Those were your announcements. Well, friends, we're back on Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall, and I'm very excited today um, because I am going to introduce you to Svali. And 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 some of you that have been following this podcast for some time have been researching the world of satanic ritual abuse, mind control, Illuminati-level cult programming, and other subjects of this nature, you have already come across Svali's writings. She is one of the clearest communicators on this subject from an insider perspective that I've come across personally. In fact, I've used her writings to help train coaches uh, on the Bride Ministries platform. And so I was very excited to receive an email from her a number of weeks ago saying, you know what, Dan? I'll come on your program and talk. And so uh, we're very excited. Svali, welcome to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, Dan, thank you. Thank you for having me on on your podcast. Well, I I think this is going to be a really good conversation. You you have communicated, and and I want to tell people where you can find some of the things that Svali has shared and written about. Uh, SvaliSpeaksAgain.wordpress.com is her current website that she is contributing to. You can also find quite a bit of content from her, including some of her books. 
at deprogramwiki.org. Now, she's not the only one on that site. There are also other resources, but deprogramwiki.org. And she was a contributor to a book that you can find on Amazon called Finding Freedom, Helping Survivors of Ritual Abuse and Mind Control to Heal. So we just want to throw those out uh, right at the right at the outset. But as we were talking, Svali, about where this particular podcast would go, we landed on programmed barriers to connecting with God. And I'll just frame up the conversation like this. There are a lot of people that I've come across over the years that have really struggled with their connection to God. They have a challenge connecting to Jesus Christ. They have a connection that maybe to, to Holy Spirit that's weak or unclear. Sometimes they really struggle with their connection to Father God. There's a lot of, I mean, mm-hmm. mapping of trauma to that identity, like, I had a very abusive father, so I struggle with Father God. I went through Freemasonic rituals, and so every time I try to look at Jesus, it's a fake Jesus. But there is there, there's a lot of layers to this conversation. And as someone who had a history on the other side of this conversation where you actually were participant in the programming itself. I know that you are a wealth of knowledge and understanding on this subject, how the cults have done it, why the cults have done it, and how to recover from it. And so I want to just, I guess, open up this conversation with, did you struggle with your connection with God as a healing survivor? Oh, yes, <laughs> I did. And I also want to say one thing, though, too, as we start, Dan. First of all, I'm going to describe how things were done in the order that I was in. But if someone has different memories of their own programming, that's valid. Believe your own memories. Okay, so if someone is a survivor listening, they may have very different memories, and those are true. Okay, this is just how the Jesuit order did their programming on this issue. And I do know that numerous occultic societies also do variations of this though. So I hope it will resonate, but I also am going to give the trigger warning. I will share about my faith in this, and I may be sharing quite a bit about programming. Okay. I did struggle. Oh my gosh. Because when I first started my healing journey, I thought I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. And I was completely amnesic to the fact that I had any occultic history. And then as I got older and I tried to leave the group, my my cult host did, I thought, oh, I am a Christian with a Christian host, and I have these little evil parts that want to go back to the cult. And for me, the biggest barrier to my own healing initially was it took me many years to rise that my Christian host, unquote, quote, unquote, was the most programmed part in my system, the most duplicitous part. And that when I thought I was praying to the Christian God, I wasn't. 
that I had programming to actually pray to God, but it wasn't the God of the Bible. That I had programming to pray to Jesus, it wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. So here I was on worship team. I was I I uh, was oversaw children's ministries at two large churches. You know, I was very active in. My, I went to Bible study. And did all the things. And while I really became a Christian at age 14, that got submerged. And I'll go into that later a little bit. So a person can be a God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian in their presentation, have no idea that they are still involved in deep darkness. And in fact, that Christian's part job is to not know and to fight knowing about the occultic activity. And so I, can I just jump in on this? Oh, sure. Because what you just said is huge. Not only is it the Christian and, and you use the word host and I, and yeah. I will also use the word presenter or yes. presenting personality. Like you, you said it is that part's job to fight knowing Yes. Wow. Okay. So there's a part at the surface that's supposed to know who God is, present that they are Christian. Yes. Uh, They are going to resist information to suggest mind control is real or they may have been part of a cult. Yes. And and they will view the parts inside. They'll be programmed to believe to view any belief for the who memories as demons instead of parts, uh, the Christian presenter. And you're right, it is presenter. It wasn't my real host, but I thought it was at the time. Uh, the Christian presenter will be programmed to view um, if memories, sorry, emerging, they're programmed to believe they'll lose their faith in God and go to hell, all kinds of things. But I, I, I'm going to start this with the roots of anti-Christian programming and then go forward if that's okay. Absolutely. In the order I was in, the anti-Christian programming starts in the womb because it actually starts before that. Like I was in the genetics labs, they have Petri dishes, of course, where they have the, the first initial, you know, cells and blasts. And all that. And so what they do is they do a ritual over it. But a tiny, tiny um, group of cells will usually fight off the demonic because God has put in that little tiny spirit. And I believe the spirit comes in with that first fertilization is coming, I believe, directly from heaven, knowing the love of God, of a loving father, of the true God. So over the course of time, once after a day or two or three, depending on, on the, the group and their technology, the, the tiny cells are implanted into the birth mother. And so she carries those tiny zygotes, and her job at first is to bond them to her because my first programmer was my birth mother. And so what she would do is she'd say, I love you. And, you know, you're in with a group of 12 to to two dozen other zygotes, you know, in there. And so she'll say, I love you. You're special to me. I'm so glad you're here. You're just wonderful. And just to, to give all this love to that little 
tiny because while you don't have a brain yet, you do have a spirit and spirits here before that you have brain cells. But I also happen to know this because when I was older, I oversaw this type of programming. So it's both. Okay. They also reinforce it throughout your life. And I'll go into that too. So that's why I can discuss it in this detail is not just memory, but also seeing it done and doing it. So then by the time that developing group of cells is, oh, several months old, the birth mother then starts getting tortured. And what she tells that developing zygote is, this is God's fault. He's the one hurting me. And they'll have a false Jesus in the room, and he's torturing her, and she's screaming. And then she'll say, she'll beg the zygotes, save me, save me, save me. And the only way they can do it is by by turning away from God. So the first turning away from God is very early on, maybe around three months in the womb. The first split in my system was turning away from God. Because after, I mean, at first the baby, you know, the zygote or the fetus resists this because their spirit knows that God is good. And they know that, um, and what she's asking the, the fetus to do is to turn away from God to believe that, to, believe that he's the reason that she's being abused. And the fetus is also experiencing the abuse with her because fetuses and birth mothers, their brain waves are in sync. So the, the fetus will experience what the birth mother does often and feel the feelings that they don't really differentiate from the birth mother at that stage. So, and so it's the birth mother screaming, save me, save me. After numerous times, normally a, a fetus will cave. And, and somehow, I don't know, spiritually they know. I don't know if it's theta. I believe it's theta. They know when the fetus has accepted the demonic and agreed to turn to to save the birth mother instead of holding on to faith in God. Then that what going to be my question. Wow. Yeah. How do they know when the fetus capitulates? I believe it's, I believe it's spiritually, but uh-huh. I also believe. And I also believe that they can do a very primitive, a, a fetus is going to have different brain waves than, than, than a newborn baby, but they can still monitor a bit with the brain waves as well. And there'll be a change in brain wave activity. Whoa. Yeah. So they can see that too. And, and they can also see the physiological parameters change because when the spirit comes in and the split occurs, that fetus is um, going to uh, have a heightened heart rate. They're going to have all kinds of that's different from the trauma heart rate, and but they're going to have a change in the brain waves. And by the way, when I say theta, I mean a spiritual attack. It's like this, the demonic in a person can actually feel and communicate with the demonic in another, and that's a whole other topic we could spend a whole hour on. So I'm not going to say more than that right now. So this is this in my system was my first core split, and as soon as that split occurs, that fetus feels despair. I mean, utter despair comes in. It's like the heart rate slows. They almost they almost look like they're trying to shrivel in the womb. Those are some of the physiological signs, but there's other signs too. And, the, and, and then what happens is the birth mother and the trainers will tell the fetus, would you like help with this despair? And 
they again are monitoring the brain waves and some and so then what happens is if they feel that the and then they say you can do it by accepting this other spirit and at that point um the fetus will to escape their despair they'll they'll accept a spirit to of deception to believe that god is bad he's not a good god and and that spirit protects the fetus from the despair of knowing that they turned away from a good god that's how early they start this programming and i'm going to tell you why they do this is because they know that if a person truly turns to the true and living god and to jesus christ's son that they'll heal and they want to make it difficult okay clearly <laughs> moving on <laughs> it doesn't get better from there but then they keep building on those original splits and the the first and then they'll introduce a spirit of, de- of denial hmm. denial comes next and that'll be attached to a core split so you have this delusion deception and denial and delusion is the belief is actually what sits over a lot of the amnesia that says you know um god hates me Deception says God is bad. Delusion says God hates me. And denial says that um, I'm okay living a life without God. Anyway, as I said, this is based on how the Jesuits did things. Other groups will do things differently. Okay. Wow. Okay, so I I just have this. I mean, this is... um really really good because the bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free yeah now i've been working with survivors for over a decade um and i've seen so many iterations of fake trinity programming fake jesus mm-hmm. programming programming mm-hmm. around exactly god hates me god mm-hmm. is bad god is my enemy i'm god's whipping boy this and it Right. You can tell people over and over till you're blue in the face. God loves you. And it just bounces. And uh, this is the, uh, I think that, you know, largely in the body of Christ is so much ignorance still, which is breaking, but Mm -hmm. about how much investment the cult has made in people that they have sent into churches with their agendas. And, people are puzzled at, well, how can it be that certain folks just don't seem to really connect on the love of God, or they're just blocked all the time? And it's those same people that are blocked, according to what you just said, which I agree with 100%, that will be also the most staunchly resistant to what you are communicating on the reason why, which which is incredible. I mean, so these people, they're very intelligent. (laughs) Yeah. Thank God for folks like you. Please well, continue. Well, but the the saddest part is when you have this kind of programming, you can be a pastor, a Christian counselor. Um, you can be a worship leader and have no idea and believe you're true serving God because your parts internally have vowed to hate God so much throughout your life that you've accepted a false God and you can be in one of the largest Christian ministries 
as a worship leader and have no idea that you're actually a Satanist. And you, and you say, oh, God loves me so much. It's wonderful, my experiences with him, not knowing that your experiences are with the other, with the spirit. So that's the other side of it, too. You'll have people that can't believe God loves them, but then there's people, I love God so much, and he loves me, and it's wonderful, and it's actually false. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay? So... That's how extensive it can be. That's how the real infiltrators do it. The ones that are infiltrating churches, they don't come in saying, oh, I'm a Satanist, I need help, or looking wounded. They'll come in looking totally put together, totally perfect, a great pastor, a great teacher, a great Bible study leader. Just fill. I see this question. How interested were the Jesuits specifically in in infiltrating Christian churches with oh, programmed individuals. Very, all, but all cultic groups do. <laughs> I, I can't think of one that doesn't try that's of any size. The Illuminati do it. The Brotherhood does it. The, they all do it. Mm-hmm. So about to the same degree that other groups are. Because your perfect infiltrator is going to be undetectable. Okay. Very good. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, so moving on. So after on this foundation, then in the Jesuit order, they created three trees that grew out of that, the tree of life or Althea, the tree of knowledge or Gnosis. And then you have what they call the servant tree and the servant tree, because of all the abuse in the womb, hates all of mankind and believes the greatest service to Satan is to destroy all of mankind. And that's a whole other, I'm talking core programming too, but anti-Christian programming is core programming in the Jesuit order. Because if they can turn you from God, they can turn, then what what else are you going to do but serve Satan? What other hope do you have? Who else can you turn to during the trauma if you can't turn to God? And that's why they turn the fetus away from God first and then as and then the developing baby. And then once the infant is born, there's a terrible ritual where the birth mother is killed. And then the baby is told she's actually torn apart and, and the baby is told you're so evil that you destroyed her. And that creates a huge amount of guilt then because then that ba- little infant beliefs are so evil that they destroy the people they love most. And that's another barrier to knowing God because you have this deep guilt inside. In fact, they call, they call that part the great evil. And so if you believe or walk around believing I'm the great evil, you know, and my, and, and you've actively been working to destroy mankind because that's what you're programmed to do. Think about what that does to your walk with God as well. There's a lot to overcome. So as infants growing up and becomes a child too, all throughout infancy, this is reinforced. So they will have false Jesuses come in to the nursery and abuse the babies. 
they will use Christian, of course, scripture. I'm, I'm telling you now what you've probably heard a million times. You know, they'll use scripture and twist it, but they start this in infancy. So that the infants start crying when they see Jesus come in. And he looks just like the pic- iconic pictures. He's dressed and he's got to be, he looks exactly like those iconic pictures in a lot of Christian churches. So these infants come to associate Jesus with abuse, rape, all kinds of stuff. And then when Satan and the demonic comes in, they're held, praised, rewarded, you know, and these are trainers dressed up for tiny infants and told how much they're loved. So guess who that infant actually bonds to? They're not leaving this to chance. Then as, as the child gets older, they start developing the, the, the false or white Christian beliefs. And that's where you go to church and it's a church setting. Well, and and you actually go through a ritual where you agree to believe that this demonic spirit is Jesus. And he's a being of light wrapped with white light. And, you know, and in fact, they call him the light of the world, you know, is, is what it, you know, and, and so it's actually an antichrist type spirit. And it comes and it's supposed to be Jesus. So then that baby thought, oh, that Jesus is okay. It's loving. It's kind. I feel bliss when it's near. They're programmed to feel bliss when it's near. They are programmed to pray to that spirit and the child. And then they do setups in the labs where you're in um, church and you get, and if you pray to the false spirit, then you you feel bliss and joy and everyone hugs you afterwards and says, isn't the love of God wonderful? But if you pray to the real Jesus, you get tortured. So. And how do they know in these settings, whether the child undergoing this training is praying to the, I mean, the, the light of the world, antichrist white spirit or the true jesus christ again that spiritual connection all the child's main trainers are going to have a huge demonic connection to the child it's called theta and they will they can sense spiritually but also but also afterwards they will ask the child who did you pray for you know or who did you pray to so they can sense spiritually who they're really and here's here's something else and I know I'm going to stretch believability, but all throughout my life, even when I was a trainer and adult, and you, it is not unusual to see real angels of God coming into the nurseries in the facility and the babies love it. And they'll talk and they'll kick their feet. And these are real angels. These aren't like demons and the babies are happy and joyful and it just happens. And there's nothing as trainers we could do to stop it because in our group, we knew there were things that we could not stop. And there were things that God sovereignly did that there's you, you can't stop that when he wants to do it. So when the angels would come in, after it's what, what we would do is damage control. I'm sorry, that's what we called it. And may God forgive me that. I, that's why I left the order. And then we would have to reprogram and, so that the babies would fear angel, real angels when they saw them. Wow. Okay. I've also seen as adult when um, former members of the order that got out all the way came back and shared Jesus in their testimony, and we couldn't touch them. They walked right through our security stuff, came in, 
prophesied, shared the gospel and said, get out while you can. And they gave specific words of knowledge and things. These are for former generals in the Jesuit order that did this. And people would leave with them. I've seen that and there was nothing we could do. So you realize that in spite of all the programming, God still sovereignly shown up will show up. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, I've seen things. I I knew someone who um who was a head mage in the Jesuit order and was in one of the libraries that they have at the Vatican, the the secret ones, not the ones publicly known. And was looking through some of the mage books and saw a Bible, picked it up, started reading it. It's like the love of God just came to this person and they decided to get out. Look, I actually have a few questions about the hidden libraries in the Vatican, but I'm going to save those for the moment. <laughs> Maybe another, another. So when I, I think- have a, I have a specific okay. question about bliss. Mm-hmm. You said they get bliss from praying to the false spirit. And I just, this is just kind of like for my own data mining. Um, does bliss have a connection to sexuality? It can. Now, there's certain drugs that can induce euphoria as well. There's also certain technologies that if you activate a part of the brain, the person will feel intense bliss. And it can be attached to sexuality as well. So it just depends on the program and what they're supposed to be feeling. But some people do feel sexually aroused when they think about praying to the real Jesus because of that kind of program. It's supposed to be another barrier. Yeah. Imagine if you're a Christian and you think about praying and all of a sudden you feel that. It's like, dude, you know. But so it was a miracle I became a Christian when I was 14 with all this. And there's a long story about that. I ran away from home. I try, I actually tried to escape at that time. I was 14, but then I was a full Jesuit father. I uh, was a runaway, had no contact with my family of origin and was unfortunately was doing drugs. And that's how they got a hold of me. And, and then again, they had an APB out. And so when I came back home, my parents, I guess, to try to control me, took me to a Christian group, not knowing I would actually make a real uh, faith declaration. I did. I became a Christian. And for three months, it was the most wonderful experience in my life of the love of God just pouring out my life, praying for my parents, praying for the people I love, just all his loving kindness. It, it, it was a complete turnaround. But then after three months, what they did is, remember I was 14 as they sent you're raising groups of 12 in, in the order I was in, in the facility. So I was in a group of 12. They sent, they sent six of the 12. They sent my twin brother and sister and my main trainers. And they said, come back to Rome or we will be killed. And at that time, I felt Jesus tell me, don't, don't do this. And I said, but I want them to know you. And I felt Jesus and, and Holy Spirit in me say, don't do this. I said, but I have to. And I went with them. And at that time, they spent three months reprogramming me to destroy my Christianity. 
I walked into a room and they had everyone I loved up on crosses and they're saying, unless you recant, um, we'll start killing them one by one. And the only reason they didn't kill me was because the oracles had prophesied that the Antichrist would come through me, through me. If they killed me, they would have to wait another hundred years. And that's a whole other story that I'm not going to go into now. So they chose to keep me alive and they started killing people, torturing them to death in front of me on crosses until I eventually, it took weeks, but I caved. They killed half my class of 12. My gosh. So I recanted my faith in Christ and then they could do their reprogramming. And they did the false white Christian programming in my front. And I had no idea. All I knew is that I no longer felt the love of God. I felt horrendously guilty. I felt cut off from God. And I thought I could never come back to God again. I thought that I was going to go to hell deep down inside, but I didn't know why. So for most of my adult life, that was my American presentation. But what happened is my cult host at that time had also come to Lord on a lot of the parts. And so they had to heavily traumatize them too. Until in my 30s, I couldn't take any more. And I, I left the order for the for, again for the second time. And can I ask you? Um, and this is hard to share, just- by the way. Can you give us just a few pieces on how you were even able to do that in your 30s? And if not, that's fine. Right? I was crying out to God for help. Mm-hmm. I was very depressed. I found a Christian therapist who prayed with me, who understood trauma. And she said, I think you're, you're, you have mind control and cult abuse. And I said, I for months I was in denial, but I finally started to believe her i realized i was i started to realize i was dissociative i then went to see someone named jim friesen in in california for a while and after a while he said i can't help you but i know a dissociative disorders unit that might be well i asked him no he didn't want to send me i said i want to be inpatient where i'm safe where no one can get hold me and i want to look at what's going on and very reluctantly, he agreed. And I, I went impatient. And at that time, it just poured out. And my part started saying, you're in a group, you're in this. And, and at the, that point, I thought it was Illuminati, my cover memory. And I was in the Illuminati, but, you know, we've talked a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. So, and they said, you're in this and you're doing this and you're doing this. You know, I was living in San Diego at the time. And, and it's a West, you know, and they started sharing all of this stuff with me because they wanted out. They were sick of it. I was sick of, I was sick of my lifestyle. I was sick of the duplicity. I was sick of the abuse. And I deep down believe Holy Spirit was trying to get me to get out again. I don't, because they can program you to recant, but they cannot program the Holy Spirit out of a person. And I believe that I was also the Holy Spirit saying, get out, get out, get out. And God has mercy saying, get out. So I, I did. I, I tried. And I 
called. I was married at the time. I called my um, my husband. I said, I remember my, our cult names. I remember our children in the group. We're in, the, we're in it up through the lawsuit, and you need to get out. And he said, okay, I'll get out. Yeah. Well, if you've read my my blog, you know the whole story, then how he then um, turned around and got a restraining order against me. He divorced me. He, they, he cleaned out our bank accounts. I was left with no money, yada, 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 you know. So, Mm-mm. but I was returning to faith in God again, in spite of all the stuff they'd done to me, because somehow the love of God was getting through all this programming, and I felt that God still loved me. And he didn't want me to do this. So they had to, then when they got a hold of me again, and they had to go through all that stuff over again, only worse. Wow. In your 30s? Yes, I was 36. And so then I was still active until. Many until 2007, I finally decided to leave. I went to women's shelters. I had remarried by this time. I thought my my second husband was safe. He wasn't. He was a member of the of of a different group the Templar Knights, and he was my handler. And so I had to leave him. I I stayed with a friend of mine in Texas for two years who I'd met through church. And she had approached me one day, and she said, I think something's wrong. Can we talk about it? And we did. I, and I opened up my heart to her. I just broke down. I told her what was going on. I said, I think I'm still called active. I think this is going on. I don't know what to do. And she said, Are you would you be willing to come and stay with me? And I said, Yes, but you need to know what you could be taking on. So I spent two years there with her. And I journaled seven hours a day. That's when the Jesuit memories came up. That's when I wrote the memories about infiltrating the Illuminati came up. That's when a lot of this other stuff started coming up. I had no cell phone, no phone contact, and I had an accountability person with me everywhere I went, including church. And it was a very difficult, terrifying two years in some ways because my parts were terrified because we were trying to truly, truly work through our programming and they didn't like it. I mean, parts were scared. They're like, oh my gosh, we can't go through this again. And, and of course, uh, anytime I was in public, I would go to the store and people would be signing, you know, who's dying next, you know, or I'd be in a store and someone would be wearing a piece of jewelry, jewelry that represented someone I loved saying they're being tortured because you're, you're doing this because that's what they do. They try to intimidate you into coming back because if you submit your heart to God now, the, and there was one time during that time when, after I'd been there for a year and a half, when I had this horrible dream in which I saw four members of the Vatican Council, who, by the way, by then, um, a lot of my children and grandchildren are member are leaders in that in the Jesuit order, and, and that's one reason why they were so invested in getting me back because they wanted to make an example of me again. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, in the dream, they said, we're, we're going to come and kill you, you and your friends, unless you come back willingly. And I, oh my gosh, I got up. I told my friends, I said, they're coming to get us. I said, what do we do? I said, I said, we need prayer. And we called every prayer chain probably in the nation for help at that time, you know, anonymously. And one of my other, the other friend who was a survivor who had healed from his mind control, put a shotgun by every door. Well, he said, well, if they come, we're not going to go easily. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do you know what these teams are like? That's going to be like having a water pistol against a Uzi, you know, but I, I you know, but I appreciate the heart in it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i said Mm -hmm. we need god's protection now i'm going to tell you this and the date came and went and nothing happened and they and they said i said well maybe i just imagined all that maybe it's just a dream to scare me i found out years later from from a very high level individual in the group what actually happened what this person oversaw a, a team and they and they had been monitoring this house and she said on that day we sent our team out to kill you all and she said the whole team came back and said we couldn't find their house and she said that's impossible you've been going by the house every day for weeks how, how can you come to me and say you couldn't find the house and they said every other house on the street was there but her but that one it didn't exist And I said, so what do you guys think? And she said, well, we all know that there's things we just can't explain. (laughs) So when people say, why aren't you dead, Spolly? Well, stuff like that. (laughs) That reminds me of the passage where the, uh, you know, the, the leaders of, the temple and all that. They were so mad at Jesus and they like mm-hmm. want to throw him off a cliff. So the Bible says Jesus hid himself and walked through the midst of the crowd. And it's like, well, he was there. Yeah. You could have just grabbed him, but they couldn't find him. I mean, literally yeah. that, except in your case, the whole house. Incredible. Yeah. It just, I don't, I, I can't explain that. And I'm sorry if people find that hard to believe. You'll you'll probably get some listeners saying, yeah, right, sure. But I can tell you that what I experienced on my side and what this other person who's, I believe, very reputable told me. And so I think there's things we don't understand. But the main element of anti-Christian programming is to believe that God is not good that God does not care. And they, and part of it is they do all this abuse to get you to believe God doesn't care. So when it came to your journey to work through mm-hmm. the like uh, programming that blocked you from genuine encounter with God, right? Yeah. You went through several attempts to break free when you were 14 in your thirties, 2007, like there was, Yes. And then you finally did break free from the group. Yes. Um, you also went through a lot of, I mean, I hear you saying certain things, people wearing certain jewelry, this, that, and it, that is very much what targeted individuals, like that whole realm of being targeted. You were, um, I, I would love to talk to you about just targeted individuals and targeting techniques, but not right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, yeah. That could be a whole other someday. Yeah. Oh my. I, and I know that there's a just a well, but 
uh, uh, when it comes to your attempt to break that, right? So, so you're like, I'm going to break free of this group. I'm done. I'm sick of it. I want yeah. freedom. But then you've, you'd say, okay, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go oh. to church. Oh like, yeah. What it- was that process for you? Well, when I first realized that I had, I call them the white Christian parts, which are false Christian parts, praying to a false God, a false Jesus, a false Trinity. They were praying to the Trinity, the false Trinity inside and all kinds. It messed with my faith big time. I'm like, I went to my friends. I was I'm afraid to pray because I think if anytime I pray, it's going to be to the wrong God, the wrong spirit. Oh, my gosh. And it really was awful because I thought, well, I can't, can't pray. And I said, and I remember at that time saying, God, I want to pray to the real God. I don't want to be praying to these spirits and the things I was programmed to pray. And I was, you know, doing my own renunciations and stuff to get rid of the demonic, of course, and asking God to help me with this. I said, what do I do? And the finally a friend said, God knows your heart. And he knows if you are trying to pray to the true God and you're asking his help not to be praying to the false just trust that he hears that. And that helped me quite a bit, actually. It didn't take all that away, but it, it, it helped a little bit in the midst of the battle. Mm-hmm. And I just kept saying, I want to love you, God, and I want to approach you. But then it meant getting the memories of recanting. And I went through a period of time where I thought, am I going to hell, God? Can a person actually renounce their faith in Christ and be forgiven? Or am I consigned to hell? Am I going to live a life of despair thinking I can never come back to you? And it broke my heart when I got those memories. But then I felt that I think where there's great pain, there's also God is merciful. And in a dream that night, I felt like Jesus came to me. He said, I can forgive anything if you turn to me. But I also felt like he said, "He's and and I've, I just felt in my spirit, in my mind, in my heart, I didn't, that, he knew that wasn't a choice to turn from him. It was after weeks of torture and coercion. And somehow it was like I physically broke because I was emotionally, physically, and spiritually broken instead of making a free will choice. Oh, I don't want to serve you, God, because I want to sin. Mm-hmm. And somehow I just know that he, he let me know he forgave me. And I cried and cried and cried and cried. I couldn't believe it. It's like, you can forgive this? Because I also had to seal that programming by killing someone I loved, torturing them to death. And so I had that guilt. I said, you can forgive this, God? You can forgive my giving myself completely over to Satan to possess? And he said, yes. If you let me, if you will let me, the true God, I will forgive you. And I will. I can forgive anything if you turn to me. He's a good God. He's merciful. And his desire is to forgive us, even when we do things like that. I know that sounds unbelievable, but it's true. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, that's the God that I serve. Either he died for the murderers, the rapists, the pedophiles, or he didn't, but he did. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But you have to realize that the Jesuits, when they make you recant, they, they 
bring up that thing about no dog can go back to its vomit. You know, know all the scriptures that they can use to make you think you can never come back to God. You know, it's like if someone wants knowing Christ or something turns away, you know, you know, so they use verses like, oh, they know the scripture inside out, you know. And so, of course, they use those to make me emotionally believe God could never forgive me. Goodness gracious. But, you know, the so, devil is such a legalist and and he oh, yeah. looks for loopholes. But, you know, the thing is, God, God is not like God is not mocked. Right. And, and, and here, yeah. here's the thing, like, you know, God has his own court system. And when, when, when you look even in the, the um, natural, you look at the court system and you say, well, how was this contract signed? If it was signed under duress, it is invalid on the basis of the circumstances under which it was signed. And Mm -hmm. God certainly understands that. And and I think that that's very important for survivors and their parts to grasp a hold of. Like God knows what was done under duress. Yeah. And there's mercy and grace. But as you can tell, yes, I did struggle a lot in my own faith. I had a lot to work through and, and overcome. Um, and one thing so, that, yeah. So, so then the other part is, it sounds like real breakthrough in your case happened when you were able to let your parts tell you the memory. Yes. Oh, yeah. Anchored it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's part of healing too. But again, that as I started to realize, God loved me. It gave me the courage to do that and to not judge myself and my parts for what I did. Because as, as a Christian presenter, quote unquote, I was part of every one of those things. I was the one that recanted. In fact, they specifically targeted me in the programming. So I had to forgive myself too. I had to hold my parts as they wept and cried and screamed inside over their heartbreak of believing that they were going to hell. And then I remembered my hell programming and that that could be a whole other thing. The false hell that they, that they create to punish you inside. If you disobey, which is nothing biblical to it. So I actually do want to talk about some of the internal aspects of the Uh programming around blocking people from God now you did mention, so I, I I do want to talk about it, and and, and but I I want to talk about the internal false trinity first because sure. you mentioned that I think that's very important. Can you explain that? In every system, all the way down to the core. Remember, I told you about those three trees. Mm-hmm. They are also aspects of a false trinity of a false God, the Father, a false Jesus, and a false Holy Spirit that runs through my trees and through every system because the trees actually support all the systems in in my programming. And there's different structures too, but but, so the roots of the tree are my deepest brain states. The top leaves of the tree are my highest brain state or, or, or Omicron. And so the Trinity runs throughout these three trees, okay? So, like, the service tree represents Jesus. Althea represents Holy Spirit. 
that's a tree of life and knowledge of course is God because he knows all things. But there's also, um, they do programming where you see God on the throne and he's on this throne with angels around and they're singing and, you know, and you see the throne room of heaven and Jesus is there and Holy spirit. And sometimes they're blissful setups for the white Christian because in the false Christian programming, if you are ascending and overcoming your mortality, you're getting closer to God. So the white Christians are given this, they're sending the stairs up to God. Whereas if you don't worship them, then you're descending or going down towards hell. So that's, that's part of the, the, the white Christian programming. So you're taught to worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this false trinity. And if you don't do it, then you go to hell. You've lost your faith. But the truth is, the only thing you've lost is your your, dis- your obedience and your programming. And they link that all together because if you disobey your programming, God the Father's displeased, he'll send you to hell. Or there's no more sacrifice for you by Jesus. You know, it, they just twist it so much. So it runs throughout the systems and it's a big part of the programming because they know that a, an infant and child's innate desire is to please God, to be loved by him to know his mercy. And so, and that if we break God's laws, we feel guilt. Well, they twist that. So if you disobey the cult, they, there's 10 commandments beneath the trees. And the and these commandments are actually cult commandments to like always obey, to always believe what you're told by the order, to always, you know, um, uh, to believe that God is evil. And that Satan is good. Things like that. And so if you disobey any of those prime directives or commandments engraved in stone at the base of the system, then you get punished. You go to hell. Or if you obey them, then you're rewarding. You get to go to heaven or celestial heaven inside. So it's a constant punishment and reward system inside. So hell programming is an internal I mean, oh yeah would you call it like an internal world it's you could or system yep. it again it runs through all the systems too but there's seven levels it's like dante's inferno so like one of your first levels that you go to and they take you as a tiny um it, they actually take infants in their infant seats to watches and they'll, they'll see like people tied to poles and being lashed with whips and screaming, including people they love. And that's, that's like a first level of hell. And then when you're older and you're a small toddler, they actually walk you through it. And then, and you have to see it and you're screaming and the, the father. And then when you're a little bit older, like three or four, you'll see one of the fathers you love down there. And he'll say, you're, I'm here because you disobeyed me. And he'll say things like, your disobedience affects others. So when you disobeyed, you know, because the child said no to something, they asked them to do that day. Because kids will resist their programming. You put me down here. And then, he, and, they, and then he'll say, the only way I can leave now is for you to agree to never disobey again. And so then they'll have a demonic spirit come. And as a child, do you vow to... to Will you let me help you to never disobey again? And the child says, yes, because they're, they're terrified because here's one of the people they love most on earth 
tied to a pole in hell, which I believe, you know, two and a half, three, you believe this is real. And they say, yes. And so the spirit comes in to punish the child if they ever disobey. But what actually happens is that that causes a child to incorporate internally that level of hell, those punishments. And when the child's a little bit older, they agree even to take some of the punishment for the father they disobeyed to rescue. Because the Jesuit order is very much based on attachment and rescue of loved ones. And then there's other levels of hell. I won't go into detail, but like a second level is fire where people are being burned. You know, of course, it's all setups, you know, and and stuff, but the people are being burned to death. At the third level, there's like these horrible rats that chew people. You know, yeah, yeah. I have a question. Sure. All right. So there are testimonies um, throughout the Christian sphere. I mean, you can find them on TBN. Mm -hmm. I uh, was shown hell in a dream. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it possible for programmed multiples to have a dream and experience the hell programming in their system and come back from that thinking it was a divine encounter? I can't answer that. I can say there's a possibility. Anytime a person has programming, they may dream about it. And if you have a bleed through memory, it would be considered a bleed through memory, depending on where they are in healing, then their system will try to give an explanation a rational explanation for for their having the memory. Oh, God, let me see hell. Now, I do believe it's, I I do not discount that people can actually see hell possibly because Mm -hmm. God wants to warn them. Mm -hmm. But I do know that these, the the Jesuits and certain other groups will spend a lot of time on hell programming because that's your primary punishment system. Think, what greater terror can a person have than to believe they're going to go to hell? And so they use this in small children. When you're two and a half and you go down to hell and then they tie you up to one of those and start punishing you because you disobeyed a father. And then you're willing to agree to anything to get out there. And you and then you internalize it. And then and then when you're older, if you think about disobeying your programming, you're gonna have parts that, that will send that part to hell inside. So fascinating. And and it's interesting that you bring up that they, you know, you because this is very important. And, and this is why I think it's important, because I think that this is th- this conversation will break the matrix for some people. In other words, they're going to listen to this and realize, oh, my goodness. This is me. If people are survivors who have this, so I strongly recommend that they um have a support person with them before listening to this, a therapist, prayer minister, or someone. Because that's why I gave that warning at the beginning. I'm going to talk graphically about some Mm. things. Mm -hmm. This is about as graphic as you can get. I mean, this is core punishment for some people. It was for me. I mean, this went all the way down to core level. So I think we do need to caution people Spoiler alert, you know, have a therapist before you listen to this or a strong prayer partner or someone you trust, because it could cause some issues for people, too. This is not easy to look at. 
or to become aware. It's not like, ah, I have the, you know, for me, usually when I, I'm getting in touch with new systems and new information, it's, it's like, oh, that's how it works. But then it's immediate punish, 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 punish for a while until my system calls, systems calm down and they rise. This, and then I get mad. It's like, they lied to me. They told me I would go to hell. And that was all a programming studio. Wow, wow, wow. They took me by the hand. They were wearing costumes. They knew they were tricking me. And I got furious when I first started to, to realize. But I had parts invested in keeping all that going for different reasons, such as if you break your hell programming, then we'll send all the people you love still in the group to hell for three weeks or a month. So there were conflicts. There's always going to be emotional conflicts, too, about breaking programming for most people who have similar programming. Again, I acknowledge that different groups do things differently. So true. So, so this was my, this was my um, thought. Dante's Inferno. I mean, this, is, this has been around for a long time, this, mm-hmm. this story of the seven levels of hell. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess my question to you is based on the knowledge within the Jesuit order and even how they deal with the other realms, not just the internal systems. Do you think that they are convinced that Hades actually is set up in seven levels? Do they look at Dante's Inferno as a programming template because it's functional where do you think that story falls in with the belief system of the the order? I believe at the deepest level that the Jesuit order believes in overcoming their own mortality. They believe that if you serve Satan perfectly, you are ascending and overcoming your mortality and becoming a truly enlightened spiritual being. If you disobey Satan or are not serving him well, then you are descending into mortality and pain. So I think that they believe that hell is a partial representation of the pain of mortality that people experience when they're descending. That's what I was taught growing up in it. Um, Now, they do have um, rituals where they open up hell beneath the Vatican, and that's a whole other topic That because we're getting to the end of our time, I know. But and where you go down to hell and you see Satan and his generals surrounding him and do all the vows. And that's a type of representation of hell too. I believe it's it's a spiritual dimension or something that people actually open up and go down into. There's some things I saw I can't explain. Um I think that they do believe that there's deeper hell and more painful hell and they try to recreate to the best of their ability how accurate it is so i'm not a theologian so that's a question for the true god i think he knows how much of it because the demonic lies so much it's all deception how do i know growing up in an order that lied to me that listened to demons a lie? how much of what i've shown was just baloney a lot. So I cannot accurately say what hell is truly like. What I can say is the God that I now serve, the true God, 
is a God of love and mercy and that in his heaven, there is no pain. There's, there's joy and peace and kindness and healing available regardless of what a person has been through. And he has all authority. The reason why I am doing this interview is because I believe that my faith in God is like having a roaring lion behind me. And when Satan tries to come at me, it's like having a cockroach with a megaphone try to get at me and the lion can swat him. Um, I've had literally what felt like the forces of hell come at me. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. And they left. And I said, is it that easy <laughs> to myself? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, yeah, when you know your authority. When you know the God we serve, then Satan has no authority. He's a loser. The Antichrist is a loser. The Nephilims are losers. They're terrified of the authority of Christ. Mm, mm, mm. And, you know, before we got started on this interview, you you said you really did want to speak to the power of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because some people think evil's winning and we have no hope because they've done this and this and such and such. Savali, what is your perspective? I I believe there is going to become persecution of Christians because there are a lot of people, evil people that have control. But I also know I believe God is greater and he will protect his people that place themselves under his protection. There's no fear, no fear when we know the true God. When we know his love, his care, his he's protective. And that's the thing. I, I've never experienced protection my entire life, even in the womb. Even my birth mother wouldn't protect me. She was always coercing, manipulating me, telling me to do things to save her. You know, I, I, until it's just in the last year that God has been sharing me, with me. He's protective. I'm like, well, I sure didn't feel it growing up. You know, I'm being honest. And he said, because you believed what they told you. But he said, I was always there and I was always protecting you. I have literally had agents come after me to kill me several times, and God stopped them in their tracks. Mm-hmm. When I went back to Rome the last time, they wanted to kill me. And they put me in one of their machines to tech torture me to death, and the machine wouldn't work. So they took me out and put me in another one to tech torture me to death. And the machine wouldn't work. They did that four times. And then they went back and tested the machines and they worked. I can't explain things like that. But I know that I serve a God that protects. And by the way, 
at my Christian host had made agreements, or not Christian host, Christian presenter, you're right about that, had made agreements to never remember the goodness of God. That was one of the vows I made too, to only remember the trauma and abuse in the group and to never remember when God intervened. And I had to break that program as well, to start remembering the times when God came through time and again for me and others. I've seen prophets come into the Vatican and pray for healing for someone that was being tortured because they turned to Jesus and that person was healed and they left together. In the heart of the Vatican. I can't explain it except that God is incredibly good and merciful to even the worst of sinners. That is the word. Swally, I appreciate you very much. Thank um, you. You know, I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at the level of receptivity the audience that follows this particular podcast has. And, um, you know, the level of understanding that many of our followers are, are carry and possess, uh, uh, what, what you have shared today is going to be, um, understood and received. I just want you to know that. And it is, it is very much appreciated that you're not, you're not convincing the majority of our audience of the veracity of what you say. And, and, and with that said, I just want to thank you for your faith in God and and the the model that that you you are setting for others the the, the um despite everything that you have seen you've been an eyewitness to extraordinary evil you are demonstrating the power of Jesus to heal, to set free, um, to love. And, 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 and I think that that is just so powerful. It's, it's, it's such a powerful testimony that you carry. Um, I, I very much appreciate you as a person and your bravery. And I, uh, I, 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 I am really looking forward to, some future conversations that we are going to have because there's a lot that was said here and a lot that wasn't, but I have been taking notes as we've been talking. And so I am, I'm very much looking forward to, you know, exposing the works of darkness. I mean, that's what we do. The, the, the things which were done in darkness shall be shouted from the rooftops. That is a promise. The devil's power is in lies and deception. He has abilities to hurt people. Sure. But when the lies and the deception is broken, the masses are delivered. And so with that said, um, again, friends, you can get more from Svali in the meantime at svalispeaksagain.wordpress.com and also deprogramwiki.org where several of her books are available. Um, did you have any final words, Svali, for this podcast? Um. I think it's important to expose the works of evil. But I also think it's even more important to expose the answer 
I've been discussing, which is the true Jesus who loves and can forgive anything. Our, our God who has all authority and who heals the brokenhearted. He says that in his word. He heals the brokenhearted. And I guess probably your listeners know the word study on that, the brokenhearted means a heart actually shattered in pieces. He heals the broken heart. There's nothing beyond his ability, I believe, with all my heart. And that's been a process of many years to believe that that but he can heal anything. And I know sometimes people in groups are programmed to believe, yeah, yeah, right. She's just mouthing the word. She doesn't really believe it. She was told to by her group or whatever. And I get that. But there really are, I have seen miracles where people really get free. And it's possible. Amen. And and friends, listen, if you if you were heavily triggered by today's podcast and you feel like you do need some help, coach.bridemovement.com, right? That's where all of the coaches that we've trained that work with SRA and mind control and know how to help are. I mean, obviously there are other resources, but this is um the, the, these people are really helping folks all over the world and um, they are available at coach.bridemovement.com. And so with that said, Zavali, I am going to say goodbye to you for now. And um, I look forward to connecting again real soon. Till next time, friends, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Visit me at dandevall.com where you'll discover merch, books, and the opportunity to engage in our private social network. Join the tribe by subscribing to our email list and supporting this podcast.